and welcome to the ICAEW Insights podcast with news and analysis from the world of accountancy, business and finance. I'm Philippa Lamb and in this episode, we're looking at the role of the insolvency professional and the unique combination of technical and interpersonal skills that role demands. What is it like to assist businesses in difficulties and when can it be possible to recover a viable business? We'll hear from both sides with insolvency professional Tyrone Courtman, partner at RSM UK Restructuring Advisory, and one of his former clients, Fraser Dick, Managing Director of Perfection Alloys. Now, as we know, this is a timely subject. Insolvencies have surged in the past 18 months, with the average daily figure nearly tripling from 25 a day in January 2021 to 72 a day in March this year. And with still rougher waters ahead for the UK economy, many more businesses may find themselves calling on the services of an insolvency professional. So what should they expect? Tyrone Fraser, welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Fraser, why don't you tell us a bit about your business? How was it founded? Tell us the story up until the point when you met Tyrone. The business was founded in Leicester in 1999 with my business partner, Simon. So we work in the automotive industry, repairing windscreens, refurbishing alloy wheels and interiors of vehicles. That's predominantly the motor trade, although there are some private individuals we service and some insurance companies. Now, I joined Simon 18 years ago as a van driver. Simon was repairing the windscreens and there was a little sideline of collecting alloy wheels and taking them to a paint shop where they'd get repainted, refurbished and then put back on the vehicle. So that was becoming a little bit much to do along with the windscreen for Simon. So I joined him as a van driver. I left my trade as a steel erector. I'd been doing that probably 15, 20 years. So I, I, I was pretty good at what I did. I was used to running gangs of lads on site. So I could organise things and I just needed a, a different a different job at this point. So I was engrossed with the way that Simon did things. He, he sort of encaptured me and we got on very well and there was a good spark between us. So I trusted him and I left what I was doing and started collecting the wheels and taking them to the paint shop. And the business went really well, didn't it? It did, yes. We, we started to build up some momentum and within a couple of years we were turning over a thousand wheels a week. There was a niche in the market I could see, so rather than taking these wheels away, we decided to get mobile paint shops and take the paint shop to the dealerships. And of course, the, the dealers loved that. So the company grew rapidly, 50 staff within a couple of years. We were just picking up more and more work. So the expansion was rapidly. When did you run into problems? Well, it was probably about three or four years after we started expanding. Simon was getting some pretty bad advice on the inside of the business. And I was out on the road selling the job, making sure that we'd got plenty of work. Simon was behind the scenes and uh, was working in the workshop and the office. Uh, and again, he was just getting bad advice and the expansion of the business was at the detriment of paying the HMRC, unfortunately. And this all culminated when Simon was away on holiday 
and I came into the office and found the office manager at that point in a private meeting with the HMRC. So at that point I interrupted them and introduced myself and took control of the situation as best I could because the gentleman had brought a closure notice. So it was really serious, you know, it, it was incredibly serious at that point. That must have been a horrifying moment. I mean, how did you feel at that moment? I was petrified, really, because I'd never had to deal with anything like that in my life. I, I wasn't really the main manager at the business. I was a sales manager, but I knew how serious it was when he showed me the piece of paper. So you're sitting down at the table with the HMRC. As you say, it's not the area of the business that was your area of the business, but your, your partner's away on holiday. Mm -hmm. What happened then? I spent the next six or seven hours in conversation with this gentleman and our exterior accountants. Uh, I'd spoken to them and they were speaking to me on the phone and I, I managed to broker a deal with them to pay the money back. So we managed to avoid catastrophe at that point, but there was another stage in the story, which I'll, I'll get to. So we took on an accountant internally that was qualified and vetted, thinking that we really needed to take some good quality advice and have somebody who knew what they were talking about figures wise, so we could go out and do our job. Unfortunately, a year down the line, they forgot to pay the VAT. You, you can't make this up. Wow. So, okay. yeah, okay. So, so disastrous. Uh, disastrous. We knew nothing of this until I could see the business accounts being accessed remotely. And he'd brokered a deal basically with the HMRC at the worst time of the year for us, which would be the Christmas period, November, December, and January, where work's very quiet and December is only sort of 14 working days. And it just stifled the cash flow. The long and short of it was. That completely crippled our cash flow the week before Christmas, which provided a, a, another massive shock for us. And it, I think I'm right in saying at that point, you had a full order book, didn't you? But you were owed a lot of money. Yes, we, we had more work than we could do. We were owed massive amounts of money. But unfortunately, the motor trade are notorious for late payments. So our terms are 30 days like most people. But in reality... 90 to 120 days wouldn't be unheard of in what we do. Right. So you had a serious cash flow issue. It's a serious cash flow. We had to put £10,000 in of our own money just to pay the wages as people were going for their Christmas break. And at what point did you start thinking you were in serious difficulties and that you might be looking at insolvency? At that point. So at that point, I knew we were in big trouble. When we had to raise £10,000 just to pay the staff, for their Christmas holiday, that for me was the, the bit where I thought we're in big trouble here because we just can't get the debt in and, the, and there wasn't enough money there to keep the doors open or open them after Christmas. So I went away, we shut the doors, I didn't speak to my business partner over Christmas and we sort of pondered what we were going to do and on our return I got our exterior accountants involved immediately and they confirmed what I thought and they got an IP involved straight away and that was our first sort of introduction into insolvency. But that didn't go so well did it? No it wasn't a very pleasant experience. What happened? So we, we had a meeting they assessed all the uh, finances and what they thought about the business and the 
result that came back was that we should shut the doors and, and basically just step away from it all and just put it all behind us. And, and that's something that you can't really put into words when you, you live, breathe and sleep what you do. So we walked away from that meeting really despondent, legs were like jelly, completely shell-shocked, a rabbit in the headlights, whatever you'd like to call it. And we took a week to just sort of process it and work out how we were going to uh, tell the staff because we know everybody who works in our business, they are somebody to us. Uh, it's not just a number on a clock card. So It's personal. It, it, it is personal, you know. So that's what we did. We took a week to decide and then things took a, an incredible change of events that to this day almost sounds unbelievable. What happened? So my business partner, Simon, was helping another friend who's got a private hire business, uh, limousines, picking up VIPs and such like. And he went to help him and picked up a gentleman from Birmingham Airport who had just flown in from Geneva. And I think my partner really just wanted to tell somebody, but obviously didn't want to tell people he knew because of the stigma that was involved. So he started talking to this gentleman in, in the back of the car. And the gentleman said at the end of it, Look, I, I might be able to help you here. I've got a contact and his name's Tyrone Courtman. He's definitely somebody that you must speak to. And that's where the introduction came from and how we got involved with Tyrone. That's extraordinary, isn't it? it um, unbelievable. <laughs> Almost unbelievable, yes. <laughs> so, so you reached out to Tyrone and Tyrone came and had a look at the business. And what did he say to you? First of all, he came in. He was very calm, didn't commit either way and said, let's look, let's really have a look at what's going on here. So I think it was about another three or four days, he brought his team in and they were all over the business. So it was a very anxious time for us. But when somebody says, well, let me have another look at this, there's just a glimmer of hope for you. And you think, well, maybe we could salvage this, you know, maybe there's something we could do. And after three, four days, Tyrone came back to us and said, there is a really good business under here. He said, I can see what's gone on. I feel that we can do something with it. So he explained what the potentials were and basically applied to the courts and got us into a, a CVA. And that, that was where it started. I'm going to bring Tyrone in here, but before I do that, Fraser, just tell me what that moment was like when he said to you, actually, I think your business has got a future. Uh, there was a massive, massive relief, although we weren't out of the woods, there was potential for us to survive. So yeah, I feel emotional now when I talk about it, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible, really. So Tyrone, you are a very welcome surprise at this point of a Fraser. Tell me, what did you think when you went into the business? I mean, what, what was your assessment? One of my first questions when I arrive at these types of situations, you know, it's, it's one thing having a look at the numbers um, and understanding their business model. Um, but the other thing is actually getting a, a measure of the individuals. And, and, you know, one of my first key questions is, you know, if I had a magic wand, what would an ideal outcome be for you? You know, both Fraser and Simon said, well, you know, we want to carry on. We believe the business has a future. And I guess from my perspective, I just needed to satisfy myself, you know, financially that that, that was the case. And, and there were some, you know, fairly obvious things that, 
I challenged Simon and Fraser on things like as simple as, you know, when was the last time you had a price increase? And very simple things like, well, if you're doing, you know, a thousand wheels a week, you know, if you were to add on a pound a wheel, you know, that's a thousand pounds a week, that's 50 grand a year. You know, that, that's a material number in the context of their historical profitability levels. And then you look at other things like, well, you know, why is it you've got, you know, the best part of, say, four or 500 customers when 80% of your turnovers with 20% of those customers in number? So actually being a bit more selective about the people you deal with, you know, because there's, there's an inevitable cost with dealing with that many customers it was perhaps providing, you know, distractions to, to servicing the really the really meaningful customers. Now, obviously, you know, liquidity was an issue. They'd they'd got a bit of previous history, should I say, with HMRC. You know, they'd been on a time to pay arrangement, which their previous accountant had made promises about, which were clearly inappropriate given the seasonality of the business and promises they couldn't keep. So, you know, and and of course, it's very difficult. Um, you know, when you're dealing with HMRC, if, if if you say something one day and then find that in two or three months you're having to retrench on, on what you've said, you know, you lose all of that credibility. So it was important to have a meaningful plan. And, and by the time we got to that point, um, I think it's fair to say that the only way HMRC would sort of contemplate a sort of another time to pay arrangement was if it was going to be on a much more formalised basis. And of course, that's when we sort of turned to the company voluntary arrangement procedure. So you came to the conclusion that the business was viable. You didn't recommend insolvency. Why was a company voluntary arrangement a better solution in this instance? I mean, this is all about preservation of enterprise value. It's about meeting the aspirations of uh, Fraser and Simon. I mean, in terms of the viability of the business, um, it was fair to say that there were some changes, but some relatively easy changes that could be affected and could be afforded. Because let's not forget, you know, if you're looking to turn around a business, any changes that you're going to bring about, often there's a cash implication. But, you know, the, the simple change of putting up the price of the work they were doing on the wheels had very little cost implications to doing that and of course that that price increase goes straight through to the bottom line and at the end of the day you know if those prices were not accepted by the majority of the customers then maybe the business would have to fail and and of course given given the sort of corner that the businesses were in we had absolutely nothing to lose by bringing about those changes so that was the financial viability but we just needed time the business needed time it needed a breathing space and, and that's where, you know, a company voluntary arrangement is so powerful in the sense that it sort of brings some order uh, to the creditors. It has the, the backing of the court. So nobody, once it's approved, you know, nobody can wind the business up. So it just puts, it puts any arrangement on, on a, on a formalised footing. Interestingly, in, the, in this particular case, you know, the, by far and above, the biggest single creditor was HMRC. So the approval of the arrangement was always going to be reliant on their support. And so I guess to that extent, it was down to uh, Fraser and Simon and myself um, to convince HMRC of the merits of the turnaround plan, of the merits of the CVA, because, you know, had we gone into liquidation, there would have been the 35 or 40 so jobs lost and the prospects for HMRC recovering a penny beyond the costs of dealing with the liquidation would have been 
extremely unlikely. So going down the CVA route really did give HMRC and a few other creditors the very best opportunity of recovering something from this, as well as preserving a business, an employer, and, and preserving you know the livelihoods of those uh, 35 to 40 employees. There were some conditions that HMRC imposed on Fraser and Simon as shareholders in that, um, you know, like a lot of owner-managed businesses, they had previously been remunerated through dividends as compared to drawing a salary. So one of the conditions, which was a cost for Fraser and Simon, uh, was that they had to move uh, um, their income draw from the business, from dividends to a salary. And of course, um, you know, that, that, that led to uh, sort of high rate tax costs for them as individuals, but I think it was a it was a, a relatively small price, ultimately worth paying, given that we managed to secure HMRC support. Fraser, tell me, you had to put more money into the business. How did you go about doing that? We had to put personal guarantees onto our well with our properties. Um, we took reduced salaries and we put cash in that we had ourselves. So yeah, there was a combination of of money there. What was the experience like? working with Tyrone. Obviously, it's an extraordinarily testing time for you and your partner. How was it? How how can I describe it? It's very, very daunting at the beginning. You've really got to dig deep, find some resolve. But Tyrone was a very calm influence and would talk us through the process and give good advice and listen and guide. Whatever time of the day it was, literally, it was 24-7, if I needed to speak to him, because I was feeling anxious or worried or concerned, the phone was always on and I could get hold of him. And that's that's pretty much been all the way through. After the event, we, we still have contact and I still speak to him and just give him updates on what the business is doing. But it was a very, very, very worrying time. Frightening. So Tyrone gave you technical support. He gave you all the support around business fundamentals, obviously being a qualified accountant. But the emotional support, it sounds like that was really key for you. For me, it was. Yes, absolutely. We could take on board all the points of business and accountancy, but having somebody there to emotionally guide you and support you is absolutely paramount in having something like this succeed. Getting early advice is crucial, but getting the right advice is crucial. But having somebody that's got empathy, that can see what you're going through as an individual, is just really, really helpful. Tyrone, it sounds it sounds as if you're, I mean, clearly you brought technical rigour to this process. You wouldn't have tried to rescue the business if it wasn't capable of being rescued. But that sense of you standing behind them, sounds like it spurred them on. And there's a bit of a personal story here, I guess, in terms of why I do what I do. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant story and, you know, Fraser... Simon and I have become very good friends and I think you know the, the real rewarding aspect for me in all of this irrespective really of the the professional fees associated with it the much bigger picture for me is the fact that we're participating in this conversation it's a great story and um, I feel I made a very positive difference to the lives of say Simon and Fraser and, the, and obviously the the employees and, and the business of perfection alloys. And the personal story in terms of empathy really goes back probably to my teenage years at home. My father was um, self-employed. He was a pipeline welder. His work was seasonal. 
And without sounding too extreme about it, I mean, it never, it never got to the point where mum and dad weren't able to put food on the table. But I could see during my formative years the trauma that mum and dad went through in terms of how to try to make ends meet. And I guess it's, it's always when I approach these situations, it's with, it's with memories of that in mind which enables me to empathise, you know, with, with with what the likes of Simon and Fraser must be going through, you know, during what are very traumatic times for them. It's very unfamiliar territory. And, um, and, I, and I guess, you know, all I can do is to draw on my experience of the formative years with, you know, mum and dad trying to balance the books and put myself in Simon and Fraser's shoes and think, OK, if it were me, what would I want? And, and that very, very much then structures the way that I, I approach and the way that I strike up the relationship with the guys to try and bring them through this. And that, that's why I do what I do. And um, unfortunately, you know, there are, there are many situations, sadly, where it, it's not such a good news story. But boy, is it heartening when we do have a, have a good story like this one. And that's why I do what I do. That personal insight makes you uniquely qualified, doesn't it, for doing this sort of work? Is that what drew you to insolvency? What drew me to insolvency? Well, probably what originally drew me to insolvency was that, um, you know, if you think about the audit environment, and I remember being asked by my audit manager way back when, uh, when are you looking to take your holiday next year, Tyrone? And, uh, and, and it was literally the turning against the, the, the fact that my life was going to be so... Uh, formulaic or so planned out that I'm having to think about what week I'm taking my holiday next year that led me to insolvency which is very much more about thinking on your feet and you never really know what's going to happen during the course of the day in the sense that you're only ever a phone call away from a from a new situation and a new set of problems and challenges and um, uh, to deal with so that, that's what really really fired me up. You find it more creative? Absolutely. I, th- I think probably with audits, and again, at the risk of um, disenfranchising myself from my audit colleagues, I probably never really felt that I could make a difference, whereas here I do feel I can make a difference. I do make, mostly, I'd, I'd like to say, I, I make a positive difference to the outcome. So it's all about, it's all about changing the direction, and obviously, you know, with Simon and Fraser, the direction of travel is that they had been previously advised that they were going to you know, the most appropriate solution was to go into liquidation. That, again, fired up my challenge to really challenge whether that is the appropriate solution. And, um, and clearly, in this case, it, it wouldn't have been because we were able to, to bring it round. So, yeah, so I feel I made a massive positive difference to Simon Fraser, Perfection Alloys and the employees, which and the outcome for HMRC. We got them a load of money back, which they wouldn't have otherwise got. Yeah, it's hugely inspiring. I mean, I think if, if accountants are listening to this, Tyrone, and thinking, you know, it's a specialism that sounds testing, challenging, exciting, what, what would your advice be to them? I mean, I think anybody that um, is sort of contemplating their future direction, maybe as a, you know, as a, as a trainee accountant or as a newly qualified accountant, then it's probably as close you can get to being in the sort of commercial world, but still remaining... Uh, very much in in professional practice, and of course, there's the you know rather than if you are working in industry and um, you've got the challenges of working in typically one business for quite a period of time, the great benefit of being in the restructuring profession is you get to see lots of businesses across a whole raft of sectors and industries, 
you know that they're, they're probably in the most challenging parts of their of the business life cycle. And the other part I actually really enjoy about it, actually, you know, it's not just about the numbers; it's about the legal side of it as well. So there's you know there's a lot of what we do is is driven by case law and the primary law itself. So it's you know it's, it's understanding how that can be usefully applied to bring the best out of a situation as well. So yes, I I really do like that combination of business acumen, the accounting, the HR part of it as well, and also the the sort of legal process. Taryn, thank you. Fraser, thank you for sharing your experience with it. It's, It's been great to have you both on the podcast. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. You can catch the next Insights podcast in just over a week's time when we'll be discussing the new Prime Minister and his or her plans for UK PLC with a panel of ICAW experts. The next In Focus podcast, where we drill down into a single topic, will be in mid-September. Join us for those two. And meantime, please do rate, review and share this episode. The more people who hear it, the happier we are. And remember to subscribe to ICAW Insights on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode.